Hi, I'm Josh Gandy, and you're listening to No Proof. This podcast is an extension of my journey to discover closeness to myself and the outside world. Through mindfulness, the person I'm becoming since sobriety, and the healthy choices I'm learning about along the way. In each episode, I'll be speaking with someone with ties to sobriety, the bar and restaurant industry, wellness, recovery, or all of the above. There's no proof like the present. You are listening to No Proof. As always, I'm Josh Gandy, and today I am joined by Charlie Zimmerman. Charlie was one of the scholars uh, that was accepted into the Focus on Health Scholarship Program for this year's um, Tales of the Cocktail. And um, during the day when you got your headshots taken and we did like a a brief interview, you and I got the chance to kind of like begin a conversation, uh, but we didn't really get to go in in too much depth uh, with it. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more of your story, your your journey on here. And um, to just hear a little bit more about you. So first of all, congratulations on your acceptance into Tales of the Cocktail. uh, And then thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Cool. So if you don't mind, just give us a bit of a background of, you know, kind of like your world and and hospitality and how'd you get into it? Sure. Um, So I am originally from outside of Philadelphia. Um, I moved to Maine in 2008. Um, and I just have been working in restaurants for as long as I have been working. Um, I started when I was 14 and has just kind of progressed from there. Um, I started bartending probably around 10 years ago um, and really just like fell in love with um, the whole craft cocktail scene. But I, my, my love for it really developed to what it is now after I got sober, which I always think is something kind of interesting. I took it way more seriously after I stopped drinking myself. So what was your relationship to it um, before that? You know, you hear a lot of times people have this relationship with the, the hospitality industry that it kind of becomes their their all, their being, their um, personality. Was there a separation uh, between the kind of like self and the job for a while then? Yes, there was. Um, I, I kind of reluctantly stayed in hospitality for a long time. Um, I think I carried a, around this sort of mentality. I think you know, it's been around for a long time of like, this is the job I'm doing until I get my, my quote unquote real job. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think I just, I, I didn't take it seriously. Um, yeah, so it, it was just, it was hard to take hospitality seriously, um, when my entire environment was just centered around drinking and partying and, um, it, it wasn't really about the job itself. It was just about like kind of what that the industry and the job affords you, um, which I think is a really kind of weird part of hospitality is that like, you know, it's the only industry where you can drink before a shift, you can drink during shift. And it's obviously expected that you're going to be drinking after shift. So um, it was, yeah, just hard to take it seriously from, from that kind of lifestyle. There's something about that. That's kind of like fun for a minute, you know, when, oh, definitely. when did that sort of 
like turn for you? Where did you see some like signs? Were you always kind of like aware of like your transition out of that sort of like uh, moment in life or, or how did it kind of like find show its way to you? Um, it's a hard question to answer. It, I, I knew very early on in my drinking that I had a problem with drinking. Um, it's something that, you know, it runs in my family. Um, so even at the age of like 23, I'd started to question um, what I was doing. And I, I thought about this a lot over the last like six years of spray um, of how I made that transition into not wanting to drink anymore. And um, I think I just, I realized, I realize now, I didn't, I didn't know this at the time, but I was such an angry person. It was just like carrying around all of this anger that was just always right below the surface. Um, but I didn't have any tangible reasons as to why I felt that way. You know, like I had a great job. I had a great relationship. I had a great relationship with my family. All of these things seemingly were going so well. So like, why did I feel this way? Um, and it's taken you know, six years of therapy to kind of really understand like where the, all of that came from. Um, and I think I just, I didn't really like have a voice to express myself. I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I didn't know how to um, ask for what I want. Uh, and it's taken a long time to get to that point, but I, I feel like I finally am there and it's made me feel a lot more um, in control of things, even though you, you know, never really are in control of things, but um, I feel like I'm finally like directing the ship as opposed to just being a passenger. What was some of the early days like for that? Uh, I mean, did you kind of like slowly remove alcohol out of your life? Was it all together? Um, I mean, you said that you started taking the job a little bit more seriously after you got sober. Did all of that kind of like fall in line at the same time? Or was it, you know, first I'm going to get myself a little bit more sober, see where things go, things go. And then like, obviously you had like more time afforded to like for the job or, you know, was it, was it a different sort of timeline for you? Um, it was a slow process. I mean, I, I quit drinking all at once. So I went cold turkey. Um, I had started out with this, like, it was like a 40 day program just to like, just to do a little cleanse. Um, but I started seeing a, an addiction counselor pretty, pretty soon after I started that, I think within the first like two weeks or so. Um, and that was, I, I could not have gotten or stayed sober without that. I've been seeing the same therapist ever since, um, just to understand like, the, the processes that your your brain goes through when you're detoxing from that kind of stuff and like what it does to you. Um, so it was, you know, it was really very, very difficult at first because, you know, taking away the thing that was my coping mechanism for a decade plus um, made work really hard. It was really hard to be around it at the very beginning. Um, and I had to just really be very kind with myself in a way that, um, I wasn't really used to doing. Um, I had to take, you know, I took a lot more breaks during work. I just had to like step out and get air when I needed to and just give myself some space and distance to like feel the feelings. Cause that's, you know, that's part of <clears throat> being uh, an alcoholic or whatever you want to call it is like you, I hadn't felt my feelings for a real diving into that head first was really a, a huge learning experience. Um, but I'd say, you know, it took, it took a couple of years, I think, to start to take the job more seriously. Um, I went to Portland Cocktail Week in 2019. That was like a huge turning point for me. It was uh, the first time I had been in a room full of other people who um, were as passionate about 
the job as I was, I'd never really experienced that before because most of my experience with hospitality was just like, um, I think mostly people who were in the industry because of the lifestyle. What was that? Like, what did you see in those professionals that you would then come to like see in yourself? Like what was, what was attractive? What was the the draw to kind of like further yourself in, in this uh, industry? Um, I think I saw it as a, a creative outlet in a way that I never really had before. Um, seeing like some of the, the teachers that I had at Portland Cocktail Week and like how, how much they'd done and sort of how creative they had, they've gotten to be and like pushing boundaries. That was really, really attractive to me because I, I had been sort of floundering in this industry for a long time. It was, it was in it because it was sort of the default for me, but I didn't really have a passion for it. I didn't really um, have a drive, but getting, getting a grasp on that creativity and just like letting it be a tool for self-expression was something that was really, really attractive to me. When you were removing alcohol from your life and still kind of like being a part of like a bar program, um, other than kind of like the support that you employed um, and someone as far as like therapy and, and stuff, what was your kind of like immediate circle of either like friends, fellow employees? Like, what was that like? How did they view that? And was it difficult or was, were you, did you feel fully supported? No, not at all. <laughs> um, it was really, it was really challenging. The people that I worked with, um, didn't understand at all. Um, the one of the people I was closest to at that job, um, I told her that I was doing this like little program just as like a detox. And she was like, well, you know, it's not like you have a problem. Like you, you, you're married, you've got this job, you've got your life together. Like, I think there's this, you know, this idea of what alcoholism looks like. And, and it's not, it wasn't me, you know, I like no one, no one knew the struggle that I was going through. Cause it was really, it was very um, internal um, and it was really isolating, but it didn't appear outward. I was a pretty high functioning alcoholic. Um, my family, I think also didn't really know what to do with it. They weren't not supportive, but, um, you know, when you, when you make changes like that, like big drastic changes, it tends to hold a mirror up to other people in a way that they usually don't like, and maybe just aren't prepared to have. Um, so I didn't like get a lot of pushback from my family, but it was just kind of this moment of like, oh, like. I don't really understand this. I'm not sure if I like it, but like, if it's your life, you can do what you want. Um, my wife was supported from day one and, you know, still has always been my biggest cheerleader. Awesome to have that. Yeah. What, um, what became revelatory to you in those kind of like moments? Cause like the dust kind of like starts to come off in a lot of ways, you know, uh, one thing that I, chat pretty frequently about is like it was a bit of a medicine that you know that I was using to like numb myself of anything that I didn't want to deal with and it was like really easy to just kind of like push keep kicking life down the road you know mm -hmm. all the big stuff all the little stuff that I just like didn't even I didn't even want to like try to think about the energy uh to give to those things I'm not paying attention to like the energy that I was giving and trying to numb it um but once I you know removed alcohol and I'm kind of like sat with those things that in my head were, you know, a Sisyphean task. They weren't really that big anymore. They were a little bit more manageable, but what was exciting to me is it also uncovered like a lot of good stuff about me 
uh, you know, I, I was numbing the bad stuff, but I was also keeping like anything good that I could have learned about myself at bay. What of the light did you start to see um, once alcohol was gone? Um, you know, I think I'm still learning how to answer that question, to be totally honest with you. Um, for a while after I got sober, I I sort of didn't understand like why things weren't getting better like right away. Um, I was pretty impatient with it and I just wanted things to be like fixed and like for, you know, my life to have destruction and all of these things to fall into place. And it, it didn't work like that for me. Um, for a while, things got a lot worse because I sort of started dismantling a lot of my life and a lot of these like structures that I had built my life on. Um, I did a lot of work around my relationship with my family um, and uncovering a lot of like things that I think that I had conveniently ignored for a long time. Um, and that has been work that I'm still, I'm still doing. That's been like the bulk of what I've been doing the last couple of years is kind of reworking, trying to refigure out how to um, exist in that space. Um, but I think the person that I get to be now is, you know, I'm a much more, patient person I feel way less angry than I used to um and I sort of know like the kind of people that I want to surround myself with so I feel like I'm finally working in a space where um I'm supported I thoroughly love and enjoy all of my coworkers and my boss and I feel like um I've just kind of learned who my people are what's sobriety look like behind the bar for you now um I, I almost just wanted to say that it's easy, but that's not the answer. <laughs> it, it can be easy. I think um, for me, I still, I still taste pretty often. Uh, I think it's just like part of the job and I feel pretty okay with it. Um, but it actually, I think helps keep me sober because, you know, even just like one or two tastes pretty quickly makes me feel like garbage. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's, it's been, it's been fine. I mean, I, I feel really passionate about what I'm doing and I'm really glad that I figured out a way to still do it while being sober. Um, and I also feel pretty good about, um, being a sort of champion for like non-alcoholic cocktails and lower alcohol cocktails. And like, I like to have those conversations with pretty, people pretty often. And I find that being, being open and honest with my sobriety is a good way to like have those conversations with people because they're they're not really like used to hearing that from someone in my position what's it like being around those conversations um you know i october 2nd i'll also be six years i'll be joining that rank with you and it's crazy to think about the conversations that you heard or didn't hear all six years ago Mm -hmm. versus like what you're able to just kind of openly say um you, you could always say it, but the way that people reacted to it has definitely changed in like the last definitely. like six years. What's exciting to you about like the conversations that you're having or, or listening to now versus what didn't exist kind of six years ago? Um, well, we uh, recently put an, a section on my cocktail menu dedicated to no and low alcohol cocktails. And I was a little bit worried about getting some pushback from it, but it's been the complete opposite. People are really excited and very vocal about about how excited they are about seeing that and having options and like yeah i mean it, it's completely different from what it was even six years ago that that was nothing i thought could have ever um 
I have I could have ever done behind the bar and I just I like to be very open about my experiences and my story because I feel like you never know who needs to hear that and I don't push it on people you know if people ask me I will I will give it to them but um on more than one occasion I've had someone come to me and tell me after we've had this conversation that you know they're struggling with it and like how did I do it and how could how could they also do it and like getting to have those conversations even if it's just once every once in a while those are pretty amazing moments how have the conversations with your your wife changed I feel like now in almost six years like now people are kind of like asking me about my relationship because it's it's something I didn't really like talk about for a long time because it was so so much of me just kind of like trying to figure myself out and I think like, even in doing that, I kind of like, I don't know, I didn't ask my wife a ton of questions in the beginning, because I didn't even know what I was kind of like expecting of myself and stuff like that. So I didn't, I never really like turned to her. And I was chatting to somebody yesterday. And um, I was like, you know, I'm really fortunate that like my wife has been with all the different versions of me that I've been like through all of this. And they were like, well, what was it? Like, did they, did, like, did she see potential? And I was like, I don't think she saw potential because I, you know, and I wish that she was on this right now. So she could kind of like speak to it, but it's just like, I, I feel that I've always been kind of like inherently good and I just made bad decisions. I was unfortunate enough to not like be bad. And then like, sometimes some good would shine through like all of like the, the bad boyfriends and stuff on, on TV. Um, <laughs> but I'd love to kind of like hear from her perspective is that a conversation that you've had with your wife as far as like what it looked like to her the the struggle and the growth and and all of that yeah a lot um I I'm lucky in that my my wife grew up around AA her father was sober for her whole childhood um and she also is a mental health professional so she is very much um open to this whole thing I mean our communication is gotten so much stronger over the last six years um but she I mean she was supportive from day one she told me that she didn't ever really realize that I had a problem um and I you know I think part of that was because I was pretty good about hiding it but um she didn't really ever question my motivations she was just always there for me and she she's one of those people who can take it or leave it um so when I quit, you know, she cut back a lot to kind of like support me. Um, and for a long time, she didn't drink around me either until I felt like I was comfortable with it. But, um, I really don't think I could have asked for a, a better partner to have throughout all of this. Cause she's just been so patient and, and kind with me, you know, cause there's, there's so many ups and downs. I think we've talked a little bit about like learning how to feel your feelings. Um, and that is, I can't, I can't uh, overstate how difficult that was for me. I really like had spent such a long time pushing all of those things away. So when, when I didn't have any coping mechanisms and I didn't have anything to numb myself with, I, I was so overwhelmed with the amount of feelings that I had and still have. <laughs> um, and I, you know, she just has been such a rock for me throughout all of this. What did you do? you know, when you're sat in a room with all those feelings, what's that look like? What does it look like now? Or what did it look like? Both. Um, now I have gotten to the point and I think I've only just recently realized this, but um, I have enough 
self-talk that I have stopped reacting to things and I am able to just like have some dialogue and process things and figure out how I want to respond to things instead of just reacting, um, which is what I used to do. It was just, it was pure reaction. There was nothing, there was nothing, there was no talk inside myself to like slow myself down and think about things. It was just reaction. Um, so the anger was there still for a long time. Um, it's mostly anger because I didn't understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Um, so there was, there was a lot of sadness in there too, but there was mostly just anger for a long time. And I think I have finally, uh, gotten a hold of that in the last couple of years. How do you stay sober? Um, I know that if I ever start drinking again, I, it'll probably be the end for me. Um, I think I've learned that, you know, like addictive personalities, addict brain, whatever you want to call it, it's a very real thing. Um, and I've felt myself go through several different addictions since quitting drinking. I mean, I've gone through, you know, a shopping addiction, a sugar addiction, which I don't know if I'll ever <laughs> conquer. That one seems um, to stay. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so happy with the choice that I've made um, that, I know that if I ever do go back to drinking, it won't be, uh, it won't be casual. It won't be just cause I, you know, feel like I could do it and be fine. I know that I can't. And I know how downhill it would go so quickly. There was a, I feel like there was a time for me when getting back to it sounded attractive, like very early on, you know, it was kind of like the hopeful, man, I hope I get so good at this that I can go back yeah. <laughs> that, I, that I can go back and do it the way that I see like other people do it. But now it's been long enough. Like that seems like the least, like the most unattractive thing that I could ever do. Now it feels like I know too much. Yeah. I, I've, I've I felt I, too much good, you know? Yeah. I tried to do that um, pretty early on. I think I had been sober for like maybe a couple of weeks. Um, and I, had a conversation with my wife and I told her, I was like, I feel like I've got to handle this. I'm, I'm going to try to just like reintroduce it and see how it goes. Um, and the, the very first night that that happened, I was, uh, was cooking something at home and I was cooking with uh, cognac and I, you know, added a little pan and then I started taking shots off the bottle and I was like, holy shit, like this, <laughs> like so immediately and was, you know, I was trying to hide it from my wife too. She was in the other room and I was sneaking things and I, that was, that was the end about it. Cause I just knew like, there is no, there's no normal drinking for me. It's just not an option. This is um, something quite a few people have kind of like chatted with on here uh, have in common is the kind of like sneaky drinking. There's mm -hmm. the, the drinking that we don't care that other people see. And then there's the other part of it, which is more of kind of like the feeding, the actual uh, problem that happens a lot in the dark. Um, why do you think you did that? Um, that was, a, it was a big indication to me that like my drinking had gotten to be, uh, gotten to a place that I was, I was starting to lose control over. I was, um, when I went to that sneaky place, cause I started isolating and I think it was because, um, I was ashamed of how much I wanted to drink and that, that I couldn't drink what I wanted to drink around other people anymore. Like <clears throat> it had been a long tradition in my last job that we would go out to the bars, you know, after we closed our bar. Um, and I, 
started leaving earlier and earlier and eventually just stopped going because I just wanted to go home and drink the way I wanted to drink because I knew I couldn't drive home from the bars, you know, the way that I wanted to be. Um, and when I started hiding it more and more from my wife, you know, I would, I would wait for her to go to sleep so I could stay up and drink after she was asleep. I started hiding things in my, my uh, dresser drawers. So I always had access to something. Uh, and it was like really rapidly getting out of control when I decided I had to stop doing it. Yeah. Just bringing a lot of uh, <laughs> kind of like hidden stuff, uh, you know, back for me as well. Yeah. Um, so I quickly kind of like replaced like the, the time that I had with like running. I just felt like I had to do something. Did you have any sort of like um, replacement in the early days that you felt you kind of like had to fit in that kind of like time that was given back to you? Or did you kind of use that to just sort of like sit back and, and think? Um, I think therapy was the thing that I used as a time replacement mostly. <laughs> I was a little bit of an addiction for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was going every week. I just wanted to understand as much as possible, like what, what was happening to me, what was happening to my brain and also to my body, the way, you know, the way your body <clears throat> undoes all that damage. Um, but I, it's kind of hard to remember after this, this long. I mean, I think I just, I don't think I changed a lot of my routine for a while. Um, I just tried to keep forging ahead as best that I could. Cause that was, you know, all I really could do at the time was just to keep moving. What sort of questions were you asking in those kind of like early sessions? And were you ever shocked by any of the answers you got? Um, yes. I mean, I, I think I, I wondered often, like I said previously, like why things weren't changing faster. Um, and I'll never forget my therapist saying to me that like, you, you can't undo 10 years worth of damage in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Like it's going to take a really long time to undo all of the things that you've done physically mentally um just all of the the coping mechanisms that I didn't really have or <clears throat> the way that my brain worked um it, it wasn't going to be a quick fix and the other interesting thing I think I <laughs> it took me a really long time to come to terms with is that this process the, um, and what I went through is not unique I mean I'm sure you're nodding your head at a lot of the stuff that I said we've all gone through this and it is pretty much the same for all of us. I mean, we want to be unique. We want to say that it's different, but it's not really. Yeah. And it feels even in the moment, like even as you're kind of like reading other people's trials and tribulations, even as you're reading those, you're like, yeah, but I'm still the only one this has ever happened to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think once you can come to terms with the fact that you are not, there's, there's a lot of camaraderie in that. I mean, I, I, I went to AA for a little bit in the beginning. It didn't really end up being my thing, but the the meetings that I liked the most were the ones where people got up and shared their stories because there was mm -hmm. so much that I could like see myself in that. I could relate to what other people had been through and it made me feel a lot less alone. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I never like went to any meetings or things like that, but definitely like having conversations with people like I needed to hear people's stories um, I, I didn't really want to hear solutions from other people because I did know that like a lot of us were going through like the same thing, but kind of like the way out seems to be the most 
unique in a lot of ways because we have to take what we hear we need to translate it into like our vocabulary like i couldn't hear somebody else's words and apply it to like my own kind of like bandages i needed to like do that translation for myself and it's funny thinking about like all of the cliches that you hear about stuff like this just like it's just one day at a time and you're like nah not really but for me i'll you know every day is different <laughs> you know it's like however you like translate it like we're all kind of like saying the same thing yeah um, in those sessions, when you got the answer of it's just going to take time, how did you become satisfied with that answer? Cause you know, when you receive it at that time, you're like, that's bullshit. Yeah. I don't know that I ever did become satisfied with it. I think, I think really like in my now six years of sobriety, it's really been in the last like year or so that I feel like I'm finally coming to terms with like how long this is going to take. Um, and I think I only feel that way now because like things are finally starting to fall into place for me in a way that they never really had. <clears throat> I think I just, I had to learn how to trust my own intuition and trust my own instincts. Um, but that took a really long time because, you know, like I said, you don't undo 10 years worth of not listening to my instincts in just a couple of months or even, you know, three or four years. It took me a really long time to get here. Um but I don't know. I don't know if I would do it any other way. I mean, I wanted the quick fix, but that's not the point. The point is to really sit in it and feel it and figure it out for yourself. And it, you know, everyone's journey takes a little bit different time, but I don't know. I'm glad with how mine turned out. And it's crazy. The, the sitting with it part that you, you reference because that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately is that it, you know, sobriety doesn't necessarily change, but the practice of sobriety does. I feel like very early on, like I had to be so mechanical in the way that I viewed the practice of sobriety. I had to like, I had a mantra that was like, just don't drink. You know, I had like little things that I'd have to repeat to myself, or I just had to like, it just felt so rusty. I wasn't in the flow of anything. I felt like in any direction that I would go, I had to like, kind of like stop, catch my breath and just think about like, you know, how would Josh, who is sober, do this next thing, whatever that may be. And then now I'm still practicing, but like my emotions are a lot more fluid. I, I don't have to think about it as much. It still requires thought, but now like a lot of it kind of seems like it's a bit more subconscious. And it's one of those things like I, if I don't do um, like Tai Chi or anything like that, but it seems like one of those things. It's just like, even the people that seem the most graceful at it, will never say that they've truly mastered it. You still have to go yeah. through the motions of these things, even if from the outside, it looks like they've got it. <laughs> they've got it all figured Definitely. out. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I know that this will be something I struggle with for the rest of my life. And, you know, some, at some days I feel okay with that. Other days I feel really not okay with that, but there's not really anything I can do about it. It just, it is what it is. And I feel like, um, like I said, like I'm so much happier on this side of it than I ever was when I was drinking. And I, you know, I think a big part of it for me too, is just learning that like, it's not really about the drinking. I think that the drinking is a symptom of other things, right? So getting to spend <clears throat> a long time figuring out what, what was causing all of that pain that I needed the alcohol for has been the work of a lifetime for me. That's fascinating. Any closing thoughts, Charlie? 
I'm just really grateful that you're doing this. Um, I remember stumbling upon your podcast like pretty early on. Um, and you were the only other person in the industry that I, you know, knew and I didn't know you who was talking about this. Um, and I'm so grateful for this and for how how much more prevalent this conversation has become. It makes me feel like I still don't know any other sober bartenders. Um, but there's a whole network of people online now who, you know, share in our experiences. And um, I'm grateful for myself and I'm grateful for all of the people who are struggling and now have somewhere they can turn to like hear other people's stories. It's really incredible. That's been um, the greatest joy of this thing. Because uh, when I first decided to remove alcohol, I was the only person I knew that had made that decision. And now you're the 54th. Yeah, and that's it's pretty, pretty amazing. Cool. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. That's no proof. Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard or are interested to hear more, make sure to like and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music was written and recorded by my brother Kyle, right here in Columbus, Ohio. To pick up an NA enamel pen and other great barware, head to moverandshakerco.com. More info and other shows like the Focus on Health podcast with Alex Jump can be found at fohealth.org. That's focusonhealth.org.